Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR Magazine. And so as we do from time to time, we are stepping outside of the operator world and into the technology side and kind of looking at the industry from that sort of level. Um, as I've said many times before, these are always among my favorite podcasts just because I think the state of things from those who are really driving the solutions really can teach you a lot about not only how to fix what's going on, but what the problems are, you know, and then really how we move forward. So without further ado, I want to introduce our guest this week, Benjamin Cool, CEO of Solutions for Delivery. So Benjamin, first of all, thank you for joining us. I want to open the floor a little bit. Um, if you want to just tell us what the company does, how it was started. I think the origin story from what I was reading is pretty important to really get the sense of how you came about this from an operator mindset and really trying to solve a problem that was affecting a brand directly. So yeah, Benjamin, if you want to just introduce yourself and, and we'll go from there. Thank you very much, Danny. And uh, thanks for having me. Indeed, um, we, we have been originated from a problem from a real operator. So basically I, uh, I founded S4D, uh, by the way, we rebranded re our, our name from uh, Solutions for Delivery to, to S4D like last week, uh -huh. because we're basically evolving from a niche focus on delivery to uh, an omni-channel operating system for restaurant brands that actually also do delivery. Um, but we, we founded S4D in 2017 based on a need of New York Pizza. New York Pizza is um, the largest pizza delivery company and delivery company here in the Netherlands. And uh, we are based in Amsterdam. And um, New York Pizza was coping with difficulties in the change and the speed of innovation. Um, so basically, New York Pizza is in Europe one of the chains that is best able to compete with Domino's. Domino's in, in Europe and, and all over the world is, of course, the, the, the main player. Uh, innovative company. Uh, you need to adapt to, to, to the speed of innovation that they are um, demonstrating. And New York Pizza was able to do that online. So we had there was an, an, an e-commerce platform and an app integrated via an API with the POS supplier. But the speed of innovation of that POS supplier was simply lacking, uh, costing them a lot of money. They were running behind. So they were basically looking to to go into the cloud. Um, back then, uh, we started looking for, for different options that were there. We couldn't find any. We saw that there were a couple in the US, but also a lot of on-prem solutions still. And the cloud solutions that were there were basically focused on plug and play um, uh, moms and pops. So um, what we do with S4D, we focus on enterprises. So we, we have a system, an omni-channel operating system that basically allows them to digitally evolve into an e-commerce company, a data-driven e-commerce company. And that's what we see with the partners that we uh, we, we work with. We are in uh, uh, operating in 10 countries right now uh, with uh, with some of uh, Europe's fastest growing uh, QSR brands. And that's basically, basically who we are. Yeah, so I guess bring us back to, you know, when you had that kind of issue for New York Pizza, you know, all, all in one software solution, I think is something that a lot of people we've had on here have talked about and that need to kind of bring some of these, these processes together. Because I think one thing you saw during the pandemic, especially was a lot of brands said, okay, I need delivery. I need this. And then they get one vendor, they get a second vendor, they have a fourth vendor, you know, and they ended up getting very complex in their business. And then you know, once we went from sort of table stakes that you got to do this to now we have to actually optimize it, you really started to see what appears to now be a little bit of a wave of sort of these inclusive solutions out there, providers, there's a lot of consolidation going on with some companies, but 
just to say that I can offer you almost like a suite of options. And yeah, I mean, talk about how, you know, S4D really went about approaching that, you know, and how it helped the operators, or in this case, we could start with the original one, but yeah, I mean, what, what was it exactly that you had to do there to make sure. this more streamlined? So by the way, this is great about this podcast, right? You're quite knowledgeable about the whole industry and what, what comes out of the operator. So what, what we see as well is that the, the companies we work with basically work with us because they only want one vendor, ultimately. They want one reliable vendor to talk with that takes away the headache of a lot of stuff, right? If you're an e-commerce company, you have to adhere to um, strict industry standards. You need to be able to uh, work with customer data in a proper way, according to strict guidelines. That's what we make sure that they're able to do. Uh, they need to make sure that they're uh, scalable with their platform. There, There's a lot that comes to it and we take that out of their hands. And basically we enable them to do omni-channel business. So we have an e-commerce platform consisting of a website that is able to, to perform properly on, on, on a desktop, on a mobile, in an app. We measure the performance constantly and we make sure that it's con uh, continuously innovated. And with that, they can compete with the likes of Domino's, but also with the likes of third-party aggregators, where uh, we see that ha uh, also in your show, there have been a lot of companies that are really helping restaurants to take advantage of those third-party aggregators. We do the same. We have direct integrations with them. We have integrations via Deliveract and the likes. Um, but on the other hand, we also enable them to attract customers to their own and direct customer channels because ultimately they want to build up that long lasting relationship. And in order to do that, um, we make everything work in harmony together. So we have all the touch points for them available. We connect all the points of sale and ultimately we provide them with all the data so that they can make strategic steps forward. Uh, whether that is improving the user experience online, whether that is improving the experience offline in the stores or whether that is improving the kitchen processes in order to improve and optimize the product quality, the speed of service and the overall guest experience. I think um, I heard before in, in, in your podcast, someone saying that customers aren't loyal. We, we see that in some cases being the same, but we also see a lot of loyal customers who are, who know that when they want to order, they want they ideally look for the best value. But on the other hand, value is not only price, value is also reliability of a partner being able to always deliver within a certain time frame that they know that the quality is all of that is always at a certain standard. And we help our partners to adhere to those uh, demands of customers. Yeah, you know, I, I think you, you might be our first guest who's actually doing the podcast from a different country. <laughs> so I, I'm just curious, um, talk about third party delivery, what it's like over there. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's been something that we've been talking about here for, you know, six, seven years, um, you know, and, and there was definitely a sense a few years ago that competing with them was, um, you know, and it was difficult for a lot of brands just for the sheer marketing um, strength that they brought to the table. And, you know, one of the reasons that a lot of aggregators struggled to be profitable, I mean, they're hyper marketing things on a scale that, you know, restaurants just couldn't do. And then you were trying to compete for customer acquisition or a broad reach and all these different things that, you almost had to play that game, you know, and, and you're seeing it a little bit, at least from my view, change now. Uh, there are a lot of solutions like yourself who are making it a little bit easier. And then also you have brands who are bringing some of it in-house, you know, whatever native kind of white label versions they try to launch. But of course, not everybody can do that. But 
Yeah, so I'm just kind of curious, um, you know, what is that aggregator scene like out there by you? I mean, is it similar? I mean, you see kind of operators have that same kind of concerns, you know, sh- you know, kind of shedding some of that brand control and the data and all these kind of things. I mean, is it the same, you know, kind of game just in a different place or is it a bit of a different yeah, I landscape. think it's the same game in a different place. I think I, if you compare Europe to to the US, then you see that the UK is most easily comparable to to the to the US. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, what's interesting, of course, and what we have seen in whether it's the US or whether it's Europe, we can always compare ourselves quite easily to the travel industry, where the likes of Booking, the likes of Expedia, have a tremendous and very dominant position in the travel industry, where uh, hotels at the beginning. They, they didn't think of competing with, with those platforms, right? They, right? they even sometimes didn't have their own website to be able to be to book. So they were only available at booking.com. And later on, booking.com started charging them for the highest positions on their, on their platform. And later on, those smaller hotel boutiques, uh, they just couldn't keep up with it. And they couldn't keep up with paying those prices and wouldn't be able to uh, reach the same online sales as they, they were doing before. So that's a good example. And yeah, we are from Amsterdam and we... Uh, have booking.com which is from amsterdam we have takeaway.com which is from amsterdam so we have been quite on the forefront of that sense but we know that the us is always running up uh, up front uh, also the uk in that sense is running up front where deliveroo has a huge um, uh, footprint uh, here in the netherlands we have uh, takeaway.com and uber each we have seen a large consolidation already in that aggregator market because like five years ago there were four players or even five players in this market so we see that there is a large consolidation going on which increases the power of the, the aggregators right with the regards to the margins with regards to their delivery charges and what we basically say is don't we we don't tell our partners to compete ultimately we tell them and actually these are the words from one of our partners themselves they're a friend and they're a foe on one hand they're a huge friend they're bringing a lot of marketing a lot of sales on the other hand they're a foe they're trying to attract the same customer as you are and what we tell our partners is that there are a couple of hygiene factors to at least be able to sometimes attract a customer that is thinking about, am I going to order via an aggregator or via a platform that I already know, either being New York Pizza, being Pizza Hut, being one of our other partners that we work with. Um, And for that, you need at least an e-commerce platform that provides you with a user experience that is somehow equal to what you see in the apps, right? You cannot withstand the... Uh, availability of different brands and different products in, in, in those platforms because simply you can scroll. I do that myself as well. Am I craving sushi? Am I craving pizza? Uh, and when I'm going to New York Pizza, I know that I can only get pizza, perhaps even a burger, but that's about it. Um, so if I go to New York Pizza, that's really sometimes it happens, right? A customer is scrolling through Uber Eats. They see New York Pizza. They're like, ah, I know they're reliable. They have a good website. They have a better offering for me with regards to price because I'm not paying those crazy delivery charges and service charges that I'm paying at, at Uber Eats. So basically, we tend to provide our customers with um, a platform that is equal, somehow equal to the user experience in, in Uber Eats and, and so on. Um, that's why we try to collect the investment power of our partners and investing ourselves in the user experience so it can compete in that sense, that they have a better offering. and not always share all your data with Uber Eats and takeaway.com as they are also not doing that the other way around. For example, we have partners who don't share the order status of, of, uh, of their orders with Uber Eats or with takeaway.com. Why? Because that is a USB for selling on your own platform. A customer doesn't know with Uber Eats or takeaway.com if an order goes into the oven or if an order is out for dispatch, 
Um, whereas with us, with our platform, they do know that. So at New York Pizza, you see with a Giphy or with the order tracker, even uh, even if they use a driver app, they can see it real time. Where is my order at this point in time? Um, and with Uber Eats, they can't. Or with uh, Takeaway.com, they can't. But we, I think yeah. ultimately we see the same in, in Europe as you as you see in the US. Yeah, I've always kind of heard delivery was a little more ubiquitous in Europe, or at least it was, or the US is now catching up a little bit. But like McDonald's and some of these other brands, when they talk about those markets are already really saturated with delivery, you know, they're not really growing the scale like they are now. It's a little catch up here, but, you know, it's, um, you know, the point about Domino's you made earlier is interesting considering their sort of stance on refusing to work with third parties. <laughs> But, you know, at the at the other side, I mean, we one time, you know, we went. To I think they've opened up recently, right? To, to... Uh, I think, I think, um, well, at least stateside, they've talked about potentially opening up, but I don't, I don't know that they actually have, unless they're doing it and just not saying that. Yeah, here in Europe, yet. they do. Here in Europe, they do. I must yeah, say. it's probably coming. I don't know that you could avoid it forever. But, you know, also, I mean, six, I think it's some like 60% of their entire corporate staff are IT people. So they're, they are not a normal, uh organization that. <laughs> in terms of competing it's yeah you know who who else is going to do that but um you know there, there's an interesting thing I, I just came across you know with what you guys do and talking kind of about you know using data on the customer satisfaction side of things yep you know net promoter scores is something um that almost every operator I talk to mentions and then you try to figure out what is, <laughs> what does it mean? Or at least years ago, I had no idea. And I've kind of just looked at it now as it's, it's the intent to return or to recommend to somebody else. But I mean, talk about how you're, you're using data to actually improve that, because I think that's a question that comes up a lot with operators is that now, okay, we've got all you know the days of click to collect and trying to force that issue or pretty much behind us, thanks to COVID and Omnichannel, et cetera. But now what do we actually do with all that information to, you know, make the channels and our business actually better, you know, not just all new customers, but the way that we operated previously just to have more satisfied customers. So how are you doing all of that in terms of taking this and, and actually improving that NPS side of the business for people? Yeah. So the partners that we have that use NPS and focus on it, they have really seen the, seen the game changer. It has become a game changer for us, uh, for them in, in, in their businesses. So we, we literally get uh, partners sending us photos of their franchisees, sending them pictures from their Tesla, showing the NPS dashboard like, hey, my store is doing so much better than the others. We are creating healthy competition amongst those uh, stores. So what we... What data always starts with, of course, is, is having the data. That's a, that's a first. Then secondly, being aware of that data. And we at least make our partners aware of the data. We provide them with dashboards that are real-time available anytime, anyplace, and that are real-time updated. Um, that data is configurable for them. They can decide which widgets and which tables they will see within their dashboards and what do they want to show to their franchisees and to what extent. Um, so that awareness is there. Um, and what we see is that when you focus on NPS and you share that and it starts to live within the organization, it will ultimately grow because you can see uh, what the customer thinks of you. And we um, segment the NPS besides just measuring the NPS. We also segment what do you do we want to know from a customer? So we ask a customer via chatbot, um, how was your delivery process? How was your order process? What do you think of the pizza? 
and we make that quite responsive. So we add Giphy Studio Conversation. Um, it is not just a transactional conversation. It is a lively conversation, a vivid conversation that the customer has. So we also see that um, the reaction rates are actually quite good. Um, so we get around uh, for, let's say, a chain of uh, 300 shops. They get around 10,000 reviews a, uh, a month, uh, which is quite, quite, quite good. And that gives you substantial uh, information. Um, and with that, it starts to live within the organization. Um, and they can start seeing uh, how their product quality is improving when they focus on something specific, what products are not doing well, what products are actually measured very well. Uh, so they can also uh, decide if they want to get uh, let loose of some uh, products, for example, how the delivery process went, how the order process went. And what our partners tend to do even is they uh, score the driver and they keep up driver lists. And it is quite uh, right now quite hard to get drivers, uh, right? You see the same most probably in the US. So they keep up lists yeah. and they uh, give awards to their drivers based on those lists. So a driver can win each month an iPhone, for example, or they can win a trip to Ibiza. Uh, and all that stuff is really helping attracting new drivers, retaining drivers. So there's a lot you can do with it. And ultimately, most importantly, we see a direct correlation between a higher MPS and higher sales. Yeah, you know, the driver part is interesting. I I'm still kind of waiting for that um, solution out there just randomly here to offer um, almost like a ride share app for people who just want to deliver pizza, <laughs> yeah. you know, because, because I think that that's, that's just a challenge. It's not going away because, you know, Domino's and Papa John's and these brands are, well, at least, you know, in Papa John's and Pizza Hut's case, they're using aggregators as like a last mile fulfillment process because they need someone to actually deliver the pizza because they're trying to compete with someone who can, you know, work in the gig economy versus a, an employee who's on just, you know, their staff, which is becoming a harder thing to recruit for. So, you know, can the pizza chains work together and something like that? Who knows? Probably yeah, not. not. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's, it's something that I've always Well, it's already a challenge within the chain for, for many chains to yeah. be able to share drivers between stores. That sometimes already is a limitation that systems cannot uh, cannot deliver to. Right, exactly. Right. So, is there a way to fix that? I don't, I don't know. Um, so, I know you guys are coming to the Pizza Expo next month, and this is being recorded in February and March in Las Vegas. So, I mean, do you have any U.S. plans? I mean, I would say that most of our readership is definitely U.S. based, but is yep. that a market that you want to try to, you know, break into and approach? Yeah, sure. So it's the third time that we're now in, in Las Vegas. Uh, last couple of times, we actually met a lot of European chains over there, but also US companies that were, uh, yeah, we had a lot of traction there. Uh, we basically were already planning to go into the US in some way, but then COVID hit. Um, let's not uh, touch that topic. Um, <laughs> but we're now going yeah. back to, to Las Vegas, uh, uh, seeing what the traction is again. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're on our way to becoming the number one in Europe. That's also basically the goal. Um, and uh, subsequently, uh, we're also focusing on uh, expanding in a wider sense. And the U.S. is, of course, one of the most interesting markets, if not the most interesting market, but also a market that is uh, in some ways um, overly crowded. And also particularly on, on, on the tech side, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of competition, good competition, uh, but there's also good competition in, in Europe. And uh, we find ourselves... Uh, um, and our partners find ourselves uh, quite good, so we believe we are we're competitive in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're very right. The um, you know before the pandemic, the sort of the tech side of the restaurant space was 
Yeah, it was very, it was very much a thing, but it was, it felt behind the retail industry, at least in terms of how you might use digital to order products, <laughs> Amazon yep. being the the main thing there. And then now, if you look at it, though, there are so many solutions that have popped in to sort of create that food procurement experience that's similar to your retail experience. And where this heads from here, I don't know, but um to your point, it'd probably be interesting to try to compete in that <laughs> in yep. that pool. Um, I would leave that to people a lot smarter than me to, to kind of try to figure out. But but on that topic, I mean, what what do you think is kind of the you know the next big tech topic that you know industry and people like yourselves are going to try to solve? I mean, what's really the next frontier of of where of what restaurants need to compete in this marketplace now? Obviously, everybody talks about AI right now, uh, ChatGPT, and all the all the opportunities you have with it. Um, I'm not looking, not even looking that far, to be honest. What we are focusing on is making sure that we help our partners do better business, that we help them creating a more healthy distri- distribution of their sales. And we believe healthy means a lot of direct online and direct offline sales, uh, and health, having a healthy relationship with the third parties. Um, but we also help them optimizing their business. And for that, we can ultimately use AI. We can help them in um, providing order suggestions, suggesting which staff to uh, to schedule in um, in order to, to also be able to, 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 to process peak times as efficiently as possible. Uh, we're helping our partners in uh, automating delivery areas in some way that during peak times, the wider areas will not be served un- unless there's somebody who is really willing to pay high delivery charges, for example, to just make them more profitable businesses and also having them enabled to uh, withstand the current inflation in a proper way and withstand a potential recession that might be coming. Um, And that's basically what we are looking forward to and uh, what we'll be doing and helping them thrive in the meantime. Yeah, I think the throttling conversation and delivery is so present now to everyone that I talk to trying to figure out a way that because unlike a couple of years ago, you're not, you don't want every single order that comes through now, <laughs> you know, that, that isn't really optimizing your business, you know, especially at peak hours to kind of have this situation where every transaction is when you're going to try to serve at the same ticket times that doesn't work, you know, because you, you end up happening. I see this all the time. Um, I just did a story on the dining room for QSRs and kind of where that goes from here. And, and such a big issue now is, people who walk inside having to, you know, almost be queued up behind digital orders. It's such a bad experience and it's become really almost the thing I would say that I hear about most right now, try to have figure out how to balance these two things. Not so much from the, we all know we have delivery, but okay, how do you have that cafe customer not get deprioritized or do you have to pick one or the other and go that way? So, yeah, I mean, is that something that you hear a lot about now? Just yeah, in, sure. in terms of um, yeah, how do we sure. make how do we actually make sure now that we have in store dining again, you can't just go all off premise now as you might have before. No, it's crucial to also uh, keep that physical relationship with your customers and being able to also prioritize them in some way. So yeah, we we have that conversation with our partners. Um, ultimately, it's an operational choice. How do you set up your store? Is there a division, for example, between delivery and pickup? Usually there is because there is on on the counter and off the counter work, um, but we also provide in our solutions um, ways to 
to, to divide that, to prioritize, uh, prioritize that in some way so that people in store uh, won't be harmed by the huge number of delivery and online orders that you're getting in. But also that, yeah, that also, again, depends on the setup of your store, that they don't see takeaway Uber Eats delivery drivers constantly walking past them in order to get their orders while they are waiting in queue. Um, so yeah, we, we also provide a solution for that. We provide solutions for restaurants, uh, dining modules, uh, self-order kiosks, um, being able to also withstand those queues in a proper way with your store, because ultimately it's a thin balance, right? Which you already stated with throttling, uh, the thin balance between getting in orders and not getting in orders when you already have huge delivery times um, or huge queues in front of your store. Uh, that's difficult and that we, we aim to operate in such a way that we take away that headache from our partners that the system generates a solution for them. Um, yeah, we are, our heritage name was Solutions for Delivery, but we're also providing solutions for restaurants in that sense. Yeah, talk, talk a little bit more about that kiosk. I, I find them pretty fascinating now. I mean, of course, I think the, the lead example is now is Shake Shack and how they're kind of they're making them go across the entire system. Uh, and if you walk into a Shake Shack now, everyone is at the kiosk and no one's at the counter yep, <laughs> and sure. it allows them to redeploy labor of course but the other part of it too is if you're a new brand you know and, and you're trying to kind of build awareness of what makes you different you know in their case you know why why are you charging 15 dollars for <laughs> for a burger right you know but you but if you can see it on that kiosk um a little more premium add-ons and things like that become more frequent, which is why their kiosk is not only their highest profitable channel, but also, you know, where they're driving the highest check because the fact people can come in and scroll through it at their own pace, see what it looks like. You know, you're not staring at a menu board or asking the cashier a question. So, you know, they, they seem to be making a comeback to me. I mean, I'm not sure that they went downward, but they're definitely on the minds of, of a lot of brands now, um, more so than, than maybe I've ever seen. So, yeah, talk about that solution for you all and, and what it's addressing. We see exactly the same. Higher average order value, higher, higher ticket value. We see that customers love it, uh, standing in front of it instead of uh, standing in front of a cashier. Uh, operators love it because they don't need the cashier too much anymore. So the cashier can start focusing more on making the pizza, making the burger, making the products in the, in the kitchen. Um, so yeah, on both sides, we see that there's huge benefits to it. Um, I myself also sometimes have difficulties with them, uh, uh, seeing them and not being able to interact with people behind the, behind the counter. Um, so I think, I think it is also within the store, you must try somehow try to remain omni in a sense that you're able mm -hmm. still to service your customer at the counter in a guest friendly way, whilst also being able to offer them the kiosk where they can offer at their own pace uh, and perhaps even ordering at their table via whether it's QR code ordering or even via your app. Um, I think you just shared something on LinkedIn where you stated about uh, uh, Burger King, uh, where, how they are uh, growing in Q4 and what uh, what investments they are making. And that is also uh, with, with Go Ahead picking and, uh, and, and picking up ordering. Um, so you see a lot of brands moving in that direction. Uh, and I don't yeah. think it's only Burger King that you recently posted about, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, I like the uh, shameless plug there. I appreciate it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, as you said, you know, one thing Shake Shack does that I, that I appreciate, they 
do still keep the cashier. They're never going to have a kiosk-only location, as they mentioned to me the other day, because they need somebody to be able there to help or for the people who want to pay with cash or even order alcohol or just not use a kiosk. Yeah, McDonald's is pretty good at that. They've got someone who kind of walks around, but... Yeah, you know, I, I think that, and then Chick-fil-A does what you mentioned there, where you kind of sit at the table, scan the QR code, and someone will bring you your food without you ever walking to the cashier if you want to take that approach, which I definitely do when I have children and I go there. Callister does that too. But yeah, I, I guess here, the broader picture here that Omni Channel is happening within the actual restaurants themselves now, which is cool. I think it's it's only making the guest experience in fast food better. Um, Burger King, good example there. I've got a lot of things they're trying to now move the needle on because they hadn't for a little while. <laughs> you know, now they got to come really. They need to. They need to. Yeah, they got to come really far, really quickly, and it's really expensive. And you got to, and so it's it's going to be an interesting case to kind of watch them. But but yeah, um, a lot of a lot of opportunities there for for people like yourselves. <laughs> terms sure. of solutions uh, because there's there's a lot of issues out there that everybody's trying to solve so before before i let you go though benjamin i just want to kind of open the floor again to you if you want to talk about something we haven't brought up so far maybe kind of what's next for the company i know that you're in really growth mode you mentioned being you know biggest in europe there and potentially the u.s going forward but you know what is kind of on your plate now just for this you know coming year and beyond and where you all want to head yeah, so basically we are on our way to, to becoming the number one in Europe. Uh, we're focusing on uh, servicing the largest and fastest growing brands in, in Europe. And we really are evolving our e-commerce platform more and more. So we, we provide front-end flexibility to uh, to our partners. We're really aiming to become some sort of a Shopify for the QSR world, uh, where we provide uh, our brands with all the capabilities in the front-end with our knowledge uh, and all the analytics behind it to be able to, to optimize in that sense. I really see a big growth in that e-commerce world where we are able to do more online business, do it better, uh, have a better relationship with your customer to optimize your loyalty program, which we have implemented in that sense. Uh, also being able to have that position on the mobile phone of your customers, to have that consumer app in place, to increase that conversion rate over there, improve the customer lifetime value, and just have an overall better guest experience and being able to capture that uh, guest data in a proper way optimize it in a sense that you can improve the overall lifetime value and the experience as a whole and with that again the focus on mps uh, being able to increase the customer satisfaction uh, we're we're doing that in europe we're planning on doing that in the us in uh, in in the coming in the years to come therefore we're also in in las vegas in the international expo you'll be there no no sadly i won't i've actually never been to vegas period but that's that's not a uh, event that we've typically been invited to i mean i guess i could probably just go anyway but but no gen generally speaking we have not attended that although we'll happily invite you uh, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I like pizza um and you know we have a lot of, of course pizza um readership but but yeah no i've never been to that event and it's a cool future. event it's a cool event yeah i mean i think the the kind of next big event for us is probably the national restaurant association show in may um Maybe some things before then. Where will it be? Chicago. Chicago. Um, okay. Yeah, it's always in Chicago. Sixty thousand people. You should. Ah, uh, yeah, I know about know about that one. Although okay. I will, I will tell you the uh, so they have what we call the Tech Alley, um, 
that thing is uh, overwhelmingly crowded. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. And you and you walk up and down it, and it just feels like the same thing one after another. You know, yeah. and, but it changes though in waves. Like five years ago, it was all POS companies. You know, and this year, this past year, what was interesting to me about it was it was all very niche companies who were solving very specific things. And I, I remember I talked to one of them. I said, how are you going to make it? A, you know, you, all you do is this one thing. And he said, well, we're here to be acquired by somebody else. Okay. okay. <laughs> I said, okay. All right. Well, I think that makes sense. You know, that so is that's strategy. Almost, yeah, a little, a little, a little weird, but um, yeah. that seemed to be... Yeah, I mean, that seemed to be the aim of a lot of these companies that were popping up wasn't so much about what they were doing as let's own one thing and, you know, and sell it off to one of these big guys in the room. And, but anyway, um, talk about that forever. So that's also because the market is uh, fragmented in, uh, in many yeah. ways. And that's what we help solve with us. You don't work with uh, different vendors. You work with one usually. Yeah. We're your digital partner. Where we make sure that you're reliably uh, scalable. Yeah, well, I can tell you that unified solution approach, I think, is the future. That's what everybody wants. Nobody wants a fragmented tech stack, <laughs> you know, and it's just about finding solutions. Yeah, ultimately, think... it's also a combination there, right? Your, your core yeah. business, you would like to have one partner with. Uh, but on the other hand, there is specialism where you would like to be integrated. And for that, we also provide open API structures. And there's more companies who do that. Um, but we, we are, in that sense, the partner that enables that for our, com our customers, um, we help them with that integration. They don't need tech uh, people within their team. Uh, so that is also cost cutting. So uh, ultimately that's yeah. why, why also our partners work with us basically. Gotcha. All right, cool. Well, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, always thank great to learn me, about companies like yourselves who are helping the industry thrive. So we really appreciate the time. I'll definitely look forward thank to you seeing too. How, how you guys- and Keep it uh, going with the podcast. Yeah, I, like yeah. I, don't, I don't. I don't think I have a chance, choice. <laughs> um, no, but it, it is always good. I like the podcast. It definitely helps us kind of branch out and who we talk to, you know, because you get to sort of um, expand that, um, you know, just who you get to meet and, and interview. It's a little different than a print product, but yeah, we appreciate you coming on. I uh, look forward to seeing Thanks how the company evolves. So, and for everybody cool. out there listening, as always, we appreciate it. We'll see you next time.